Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. This is Al Martin. Welcome to Making Data Simple. I hope everybody is safe and healthy. I'm very empathetic to anyone that uh, is suffering any health issues. Today, I have Hadley Wickamon, and he is the chief scientist at our studio. Let me tell you a little bit, at least relative to what I know, but we're going to get it all from Hadley in just a moment. He's got a Bachelor of Human Biology and then went straight into statistics, where he's got a BS and an MS, and then a PhD at Iowa State University. He's got several awards. In fact, the one that I noted, he was awarded the John Chambers Award for Statistical Computing for his work developing tools for data reshaping and visualization. I think that was in 2006. He can correct me. I know that he's got a sister that's also a statistician, so I guess it runs in the family. And he's a prominent member of the R user community, developed several notable and, and widely used packages therein. I guess there's another recognition. I'll give you one more and then I'll turn it over to Hadley. But uh, he's named a fellow by the American Statistical Association in 2015 for, quote unquote, pivotal contributions to statistical practice through innovative and pioneering research in statistical graphics and computing. I can hardly even say that. Welcome, Hadley. I'm glad to have you on. Hi, Al. Thanks for having me. Does it run in the family? I guess your sister is a statistician as well. My dad, um, he's not a, exactly a statistician, but he did his PhD in uh, Cornell and, and animal breeding and biometrics. So definitely got a, well, bit of a, a family connection there. Well, did your parents like force you into the field or how did that go? So funnily enough, like both me and my sister got the statistics through a process of elimination. So I actually started off in medical school because uh, I wanted to be a genetic engineer and the, the advice I got was to do an MD-PhD. Didn't really enjoy that that much, just a lot of memorization. And so I went back to uh, what I'd enjoyed in high school, which is computer science and statistics. Very well, we're just humble data scientists here at IBM. Tell us a little bit more about your journey. By the way, we could have used probably that medical field right now, given the challenges that we have and the data and the statistics yes. to figure out where this is going, where it's coming and everything else. But tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, so I, I was very lucky to really, I think, get into data science before it was really a thing. I, I double majored in computer science and statistics, uh, which is a kind of a weird thing to do. Statisticians are like, well, why do you need to know how to program? And computer scientists were like, why do you need to know statistics? Uh, and I was lucky enough to do my statistics training at the University of Auckland, which has a very, very modern statistics department, which has had kind of programming involved very much from the get-go. So the University of Auckland is, is the birthplace of R. They do a huge amount of, of programming and all their statistics courses. And, and really, I think we're doing you know, data science. So you start out in human biology. You're going to go to medical school. You're going to tick mom and dad off. And then you said, ah, what the hell? I'll go into statistics as well. The Bachelor's of Human Biology is actually the first part of med school in New Zealand at the time. In my second year of med school, they raised, there was an outcry because they increased the fees fourfold from like $500 a year to $2,000 a year. You know, that was just a, the worst thing any of us could imagine having to pay $2,000 <laughs> a year for medical school. 
So, hey, let's start off with this. I, I want to get into a lot of different things here, but uh, I know you're from New Zealand. I can hear it in your accent. Now living in Houston. This is a problem. Well, it's not a problem yet. We're going to see here in just a moment. But <laughs> as you giggle, uh, I hear you're kind of a barbecue enthusiast. It is. So, so here, this could be the shortest podcast or we could be best friends forever right here with this question. Who has the better barbecue? Texas, Kansas City. You know, like obviously all different <laughs> styles of barbecue are, are great. This but, is a Darwin um, test. This I, is a Darwin I, test. <laughs> I have a particular love for uh, Texas barbecue. Did you just say you had love for Texas barbecue? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had Kansas City barbecue? I have. You know, it's good. I just think the nice thing about Texas barbecue is all about the meat and the smoke. You don't have to slop on a bunch of uh, additional sauces here to get something. You, you know you have to have meat and smoke in Kansas City, too. You've just been ingrained because you don't want to tick off your friends locally. I understand. I understand. You want to make it be in good graces. I guess I'll let that one go. We'll continue. So in 2015, you said you received this nomination. You were named fellow by the American Statistical Association for pivotal contributions. I'm just curious, can you talk to a few of those pivotal contributions in statistical practice? Yeah, so a lot of what I've done has been in the the R programming language. So I write um, R packages, you know, collections of R code and, and data and documentation that a bunch of data scientists use to do their job. There are kind of two or three that I'm particularly well-known for and that the, the Fellows Award recognized. One of those is ggplot2, which is a, a GG stands for Grammar of Graphics. It's a plotting system for R based on this idea called the Grammar of Graphics, which basically is all about saying how like the plots, let's not think about plots as like a pie chart and a line chart and a scatter plot. Let's think about like what the underlying theoretical components of a plot are, how can we pull them apart and recombine them in different ways to create new types of graphics. So also the other thing, another thing I'm well known for is this idea of tidy data, which is just kind of taking sort of like database normalization, COD's third normal form, and just translating it into a form that's easier to understand and, and to use in your data science projects. Say that one more time. Yeah, so you have a rectangular data set Basically, you want to make sure each column is a variable, also the variables are columns, and then each row is an observation. And basically, if you do that, if you store your data kind of consistently in that form, and if you're a data scientist, you're like, well, that's the most obvious thing ever. Of course, I'm going to store it like that. As you start to work with people collecting data, you know, outside of data science without so much experience, people collect data in the most creative and surprising ways you can you could ever imagine and having this sort of principle of like when you start an analysis first tidying up your data to get into this format just makes your life so much easier two thoughts that come to mind when you said that one thought is that seems pretty self-explanatory no offense on the other hand i don't see any clients doing that in other words they don't have any clean data it's all yeah. the the data swamp. I'm wondering if a couple of podcasts ago, we were talking about investing and we were talking about financial advisors and we were going back and forth. And finally, at the end of the day, the only thing we could agree on is people don't do what they say they're going to do. 
That's why you need a financial advisor. Is this one of those cases where you put out the theory, the principle, why it's so beneficial, what the return on investment is, and you're pushing that concept and then trying to get clients to take heed? That's part of it. I think the other thing that I think is sort of surprisingly important is giving it a name. And so like in the art community in particular, we call this like tidy data. And so you can say to someone like, is your data tidy? Or like, why don't you put your data in a tidy format? And just having that that mental hook to kind of hang that structure off and having a, a phrase that you can talk about with other humans. Did you invent the term tidy data? Is that your quote? Yes. So I, I you know, we've always <laughs> talked about clean data. I kind of think about, you know, tidy, it's like tidying your room. You know, like when you tidy your room, you just kind of like line everything up and and make it look nice. But when you like clean your room, you're actually like vacuuming under the bed and wiping everything down. So it's kind of the same thing. It's not like clean data where you hope it's like correct. Tidy data, you just like got it in the right shape so you can make some progress on it. There's clickers and coders. I presume you're a coder then. Absolutely. How did you first become interested in both big data and then secondly, R? And why R? You know, I guess I've been programming from a very young age. I actually... In high school, I was kind of really into uh, Microsoft products, and I'd done a lot with uh, Microsoft Access, and I had kind of a bunch of experience, like designing little little databases for my my dad and my dad's work. Um, so, like a very long-standing kind of interest in, in programming and, and data. And then I really got exposed to to R when I started taking statistics courses at university. And I still like remember my very vividly my first experience with R. and just felt like such a weird. I was learning Java in my computer science classes, and R just felt like such a weird language. And I think a lot of people get get put off by that. But that didn't happen to me for whatever reason. I was just really intrigued. Like, why does it work? Why does R work this way? Like, why is it so different? And that that really sort of started my journey into learning more about R and writing R code and writing books about R. But why not like Python? Why R? Is it just because you headed there? Or what can R do that Python in your mind cannot do? Why do you like it so much better? Python has only really recently become useful uh, to actually do data science with. Like before there was Jupyter Notebooks, SciPython Notebooks, before there was Pandas, like doing data science in Python was a nightmare. So at the time I started, like there was no other option if you wanted to do, you know, you could use SAS or SPSS or, you know, something. So, I, you know, things have changed a lot since I started with R. And I think one of the things I particularly like about R, or one of the things that's like a little weird and a little cool, I think, it's a programming language that's used primarily by non-programmers. And I think that makes it like pretty special. Like it's a coding language that's used by people who might have been clickers otherwise. And I think one of the things that's neat about that in particular is like if you start doing data science with R, you can learn the data science and then you can learn programming later on if you want. Is that to say, look, I, I can be a clicker and then slowly move my way into to coding and I can do that seamlessly through the use of R? I don't want to say like seamlessly, you know, learning how to program is you know, at the very start is like painful and frustrating and everyone experiences that pain and frustration. But I think you can get through that pain and frustration faster in R, especially with uh, like incredibly supportive R community. Do you code at all in Python? I can like read, you know, I read a bunch of Python code just to kind of keep my eye on what's happening. I, you know, read a bunch of programming stuff in different languages. You know, I probably, I'm sure I could write Python code if I was uh, forced to it. <laughs> 
gunpoint, <laughs> but it's just not something that I do naturally because, like, my you know my job is to to make ours as as good as it possibly could. But at the same time, like to make art better, I you know it's so important to know what other languages are doing. So I'm always kind of trying to find out what's happening in, in R and in Python and Rust and Go and JavaScript and like what's the what's the cool new programming thing that we could take on and adopt in R. But pretty soon, it's just going to code it for yourself. All you're going to have to do is talk. You're done. I mean, what happened to good old days where you had to really figure it out with with C? <laughs> no, all good. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. What does your day job look like? Uh, how are you helping out data scientists with your work? So I, uh, I manage a team of uh, software engineers and developer advocates in our studio. And kind of broadly, I think our goal is to do two things, to make doing data science easier and, and more fun and faster in R, uh, continue to build out like software engineering, best tools for software engineering, best practices in R, that's like unit testing, and package development and all that other kind of stuff we need in order to write packages. And then finally, like educate people, tell the world about what we're, what we're doing. Is this all open source, available free? Yep. So our studio itself as a company is a public benefit court. So one of our key missions is developing open source software for data science. So my team is 100% open source. Pretty much everything we do is in the public. You know, obviously we also have commercial products that we sell to make the money to, to pay all of us. Uh, but the goal of our studio is to be like as open as, as, as possible. Can you outline a few of the packages that, you know, you've created of late that have helped data science and like one of our listeners, they could listen and say, look, I got to go get that package. Give us the top three that come to your mind. Uh, so top three. So I talked a little bit about ggplot2 already makes it easy to like turn your data into visuals that help you understand what's going on. Uh, I talked about tidy data. Tidy data is kind of paired up with a package called tidyr. And the goal of tidyr is basically to help you get your data in whatever crazy format you've got it and get it into that nice tidy form so that you can work with it as easily as possible, as painlessly as possible. And then the other thing, um, which I've been working a lot on, on lately, Lee and Alan Davis, is this package called DeepWire. And DeepWire, the goal of DeepWire is to kind of solve or help you solve the data manipulation, the data transformation part of the data science process. So, you know, it helps you get data out of databases or work with it in databases, create new variables, create summaries, rearrange it, all that kind of stuff. Try to get the thoughts that are in your head into computer code as, as quickly, as painlessly as possible. So tell me a little bit about this tidy R. I still don't get this because uh, every client data set I see, man, it takes a lot of muscle to get it in the format that you can actually use it. Tell me what's in scope and what's out of scope. So yeah, so I don't want to like oversell it. Like tidying data <laughs> overall is like is really really hard. Just today, I was working with, uh, I was helping someone with a data set where. Uh, it had it was a data set had dates. It's about uh, some data about COVID actually. It had a column for month and a column for day, but the month, the name of each month, only occurred once for all of the days in that month. And you know, normally this isn't too bad because the month you just put the month at the first. So you've got like March. One, two, three, four, five, six, and then you have April and so far. But this one, the month wasn't even on the first row. It was just randomly somewhere in the month. 
and try trying to figure out how to solve that. Like that's a fun kind of programming challenge. <laughs> but you know, beside these kind of like these really weird idiosyncratic cases, I think there's a lot of like common patterns. And the biggest common pattern is just when you've got variables that are, that are not in columns. And so one way you might see this is you've got a data set. And if you look at the column headers, they're not actually names of variables. They're, they're values, like they're maybe they're Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or maybe they're you know, Frank, Sally, Mary. They're not variables. They're the value of a variable because somehow your, your data is sort of in this, this weird non-Titan form. And so I think that's one of the major tools in TidyR is just to reshape that, to pivot that, to rearrange that, to get it into this, this tidy form. Good. I won't keep going. I'm a data guy. So, you know, I could dissect that forever. No, that's good, though. Let me uh, ask you this. Are you creating any data science or machine learning models yourself to solve business problems for clients or outcomes or most of what you work on the actual integrated development environment to do just that? Yeah, so I'm mostly like a tool builder. I do like a little bit of data science to kind of for fun, like mostly data about me or do like a little web analytics stuff on the data of our website. But yeah, primarily I'm building building open source tools. So we're announcing here then your side hustle is a consultant uh, against uh, data science ML models, right? No, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> All right. I also know you to be an avid author and yes. you wrote R for Data Science. Uh, which is an O'Reilly book, which, congratulations, was a number one bestseller in the mathematical and statistical software on the Amazon marketplace. Also, 4.5 stars out of, I was just looking at it, 403 ratings. Nicely done. Out of nice. all the books that are out there, what makes yours the best? I just put that right <laughs> so in. If you, if you want to learn, uh, learn uh, data science, I think, and you've never done any programming before, or even if you have done programming before, this is like the book for you. It's designed to give you kind of the key tools for doing data science in a programming language. So, you know, you have to learn a little bit of programming to do that because you're working in a programming language. You've got to do some coding. But the book makes it as like painless as possible where you kind of get the really cool skills up front and then we like talk about how do you like fill in those that, that eye candy those really cool things with that the solid knowledge of coding to underpin that how long has that book been out i don't know three years two years three years so you're rich now right you, you've made all kinds of <laughs> i wish uh, yeah how many books have you written is that i know that that one's extremely popular you got another one in the works or i think i've written four books Four books. Uh, is that your most another, popular one? Yeah, by far. So I've also uh, written, there's also a book about specifically about ggplot2 for visualization, a book about writing R packages, and then a book called Advanced R, which is all about R like as a programming language. All but available on Amazon Marketplace? Uh, yes, and also all available for free online. Here's what I like about the book. I do know of the R for Data Science book. Well, who's the audience? The way I understood what you just said to me is the audience is, you know, in bonus if you have programming experience. But if this is your first, your first go at R, first go at getting into data science, uh, this is the book for you. Absolutely, yeah. Now I don't want you know, like learning a programming language is hard. It's much better if you can find like a group of like-minded individuals to kind of struggle along with, but. Yeah, this, the, the goal of this book is that you shouldn't need to, you don't need to be an experienced programmer. You don't need to be like a mathematics whiz. 
you can start, like anyone can learn data science and start creating useful insights, useful graphics, and even start, start with some modeling. Well, don't be humble on me now. This is a very popular book, as you know, as you mentioned, as, as we know. There's a lot of our books out there. Why do you think yours is differentiated, or how do you think yours is differentiated? Why has it become so popular? I'm writing about the tools, the, the R packages that I have created that people are using for data science. And I think that's a like a like writing, like programming the tools, coding the tools and writing the book is like a beautiful synergy because there's nothing like sitting down to try and tell someone how to use your code to make you realize, oh, this is actually really, really difficult to use. Uh, and that, like that, like trying to explain it to people, I think that that has made me like a vastly better programmer. And when you say anyone, from start to finish, I finished that book. Where did I go from start to finish? What can I do once I finish it? You finish it, you have basically all of this, the basic skills you need to be, all the kind of basic computer skills you need to be a data scientist. So you know how to visualize your data, you know how to get it into R, you know how to tidy it, you know how to transfer it, you know how to work with like different types of data, like strings and dates and factors, you know, some of the sort of basics of programming in R, you've got the basics of modeling, and you've got some tools for communicating your results. Now, you know, there's lots more to learn about being a data scientist, obviously, but you've got all of the basic kind of skills there. Is there another book or a set of books that this book you've created kind of complements well, or you would recommend and say, if I am a student out there listening to this podcast right now, they're ordering this book right now, your ratings are going to go yeah. like from 400 to 800 because we just popularized this thing. But no, I'm serious. If there's other books, is there any other books you'd recommend? So I think a little bit sort of depends on like where you want to go next in your journey. So I, you know, I think if you want to learn more about, if you want to get better at programming in R, learn more about R as a programming language. Like I'm going to recommend my advanced R for that. But uh, if you want to learn more about like visualization, there's a couple of really good books. Uh, one's by Klaus Wilker and another by uh, Kieran Healy, both of which are also available online for free. I think another thing that you, that's really, really important as a data scientist is your ability to communicate. Uh, and that's both like written and spoken. Uh, but one book I really like is this book called um, Style, Lessons in Clarity and Grace by uh, Williams and Colin, uh, which I found like really, really useful to like, you know, make my writing so that it could be easily understood by other people. And you know, that as a skill as a data scientist is so, so important. How is this process different, writing a book compared to writing code? One thing I love about code is that you, a lot of the time you can tell when it's correct. And once you've made it correct, you know, you can write some unit you know, tests and then you know if you accidentally break it later on. If you write a really good paragraph, well, first of all, how do you tell that? That's, that's a skill you, know, you have to learn. Like, has this thing that I have written, does it actually make sense when other people read it? And then it's like so easy to like to mess it up because you've forgotten to explain something. You've explained things in the wrong order. You know, I love the programming, the, the kind of the sort of the certainty, you know, whether you're right or wrong, you know, whether you're doing a good job, you've got something you can optimize. But at the same time, like the way you write good code is the same as the way you write good prose as you like write a lot of bad code and bad prose first and you just write and rewrite and re-rewrite and just until you've got something that, that you want to share with the world. 
I'm with you on that 100%. The reason I got into coding is kind of, as you say, I'm a problem solver. I like to build things. I like to see it work. And, you know, it's like pride of uh, accomplishment. I also like to write in the sense that uh, it's never perfect. And you never know when yeah. it's perfect. So you keep going back yeah. and going, that's not right. Oh, I can make that sentence smaller. I can do this. You know what's helped me on that? Uh, I listened to Brene Brown. You ever heard of Brene Brown? Uh-huh. She, she talks a lot about vulnerability, et cetera. But she said, hey, embrace cruddy first drafts. That yeah. helped me a lot. So now I even name whatever I'm uh, writing a cruddy first draft at first. And then I can just, yeah. I've got like the freedom to make a, a crappy first draft. And then it gets me started and I get going and, and things work out well. But I'm with you on that. Let me go back to you. You said you're a manager. Yes. When you're hiring for your team, by example, who do you look for? What kind of skills do you look for? And then how do you train them? And we talked about some of the books that you have here on R and data science, but who do you look for? What skills you think are the best? And then how do you train them? Yeah. So again, you know, I'm looking for basically mostly software engineers who are going to contribute and create better R packages. So, you know, one thing I'm looking for is just like a really kind of solid technical skill. People I hire, they know R, a lot of them know a little bit of C, they know other languages, they've got experience, you know, developing large quantities of code. It's really, really important that they can communicate well. So like, you know, I have a very technical team, but my expectation is like everyone is also going to be speaking at conferences, you know, giving talks, writing blog posts, writing documentation. So you've got to be a really strong communicator as well. You think that's communication? Art of influence is the new developer as we go forward instead of uh, the persona of sitting in a cube and working your nails away? I think particularly, you know, I I come from academia, particularly in academia, like marketing is this like real sort of bad connotation that you've you've done some really crappy work and now you're going to like try and trick people into liking it. It doesn't matter what the quality of your work is if no one knows about it. So being able to communicate what you do, why it's important, and how people can use it in their lives is just so important. Like it, it doesn't matter if you're producing like the most wonderful code, if no one ever sees it or no, no one knows how to, how to use it. One thing I do when I'm mentoring folks, one of the first things I do is, is Google their name, go out to LinkedIn, go out to a Twitter, et cetera, to see if they're social. Because I'm with you that... Uh, that is usually a catalyst of, you know, that social influence is a catalyst of growth or lack thereof. And then I immediately, you know, work with them on having a better social presence and or creating blogs, et cetera. The other thing is, I think we've become such a PowerPoint society that we've lost some of the art of writing. And when you have to write something down, I firmly, in fact, I make my entire team write the strategy on paper. Because when you have to put something in complete sentences, I think that's the difference between taking a class and teaching a class, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm sure that when you wrote the R book, don't want to put words in your mouth, you really learn R. I mean, to a T. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Writing advanced R in particular, like some of those chapters got like rewritten, like not because the writing was bad, but because my understanding of R like transformed itself. Now, this is the perfectionist in me. You write that book. Do you ever like go back and go, I wish I would have done this differently. I wish I'd have added that or whatever. Do you ever go through that? Once I've written it, like I never, I do not look at it. Like when the, the copy, I mean, I get the printed copy of the book, like I look at the cover 
but I'm just like terrified if I like open it, I'm going to see like a typo or I'm going to be like, <laughs> oh, this is a terrible way of putting it. So I just like put it away and never look at it again until I to write. It's like an actor page. never wanting to watch himself on screen. So you're a busy guy. You're in tech. How do you find time to do it? Do you have a set pattern? Yeah, I basically am like the first hour, two hours of my day is like dedicated to, to writing. And so I try and, you know, I basically roll out of bed, get a cup of coffee and then try and write for an hour or two with as, as few distractions as possible. Like not looking at Twitter, not checking emails, just like writing. Now, is this always a book or is it uh, journaling or is it both? Or is it both? Uh, it's, mostly, it's mostly a book. I also write, um, you know, I do blog posts, particularly about kind of new features. I write a bunch of documentation but like in that kind of first hour or two of the day, I'm try. I normally try and focus that on like a big writing project. How often do you write blog posts? Uh, lately, I've been writing them every week because I've been trying to do like a. We're doing a big new release of Dplyr coming up soon, so I've been trying to do like here's a bunch of new features every week. Normally, probably like once or twice a month, maybe. I don't have kind of like a set schedule. It's more like, well, this new package is coming out, so. Well, this update is coming out, so I better write up something about what, what's changed. Where can uh, the listeners view or take a look at your blogs? So uh, most of what I do is on the, the Tidyverse blog, which you can find by Googling Tidyverse and, and blog. Uh, I also tweet on Twitter. I do like the short form communication as well, because that's just, I don't know, it's kind of fun and you can weave it into other activities. All right, so we've already established that you're in our zealot. But there is Scala, Python, Java, other languages out there. Where do you think those set of languages will be in two to five years? Is R going to win out? Is there going to be another language? Is somebody going to take over? What do you think? You're predicting the future is always hard. You know, by and large, you know, like programming languages never really go away. I think as we've seen recently with the, the need for our COBOL programmers, like R is, is going to continue to grow in popularity, just like because anything to do with data is going to keep growing in popularity because, you know, basically because making decisions with data leads you to make better decisions than making them without data. Any up and coming languages you see out there that have a chance? I think like Rust is pretty interesting, maybe not for data science, but kind of replacing code that people would use to write in uh, C or C++ just seems like a really interesting language to me. A lot of kind of people thinking a lot about how the, the language should feel, what the interface should sort of feel like and work. I mean, Julia is kind of another, you know, data science language, uh, a lot of really smart people working on that. You, you sounded like Yogi Berra earlier when you said, Prediction is hard, especially about the future. Yeah. Love, Barry, uh, he's like one of my favorite quote generator. My favorite one is nobody yes. goes anywhere. It's too crowded. So sticking with the theme of futures, I'm going to keep on you about this. You're going to have to predict the future one way or another. What's next for data? What do you think's next for data science? What's on the horizon? What's new in data? I, I think it's just going to keep percolating out. I think we're going to see like more high school classes and data. My kind of hope is that we... So sort of ditch some of the kind of, I don't know, trigonometry or like this t-testy type stuff in high school uh, math and statistics and replace it with data science. Like how do you take like data about the world that you care about it and you know use it to make better decisions? So I, I hope we see kind of more data, more places, 
more people using um, more people coding rather than clicking. I think those are my two like two big hopes. Well, I have to say, statistics is where it's at today. So whether your parents forced you or not, uh, you're in the right spot, man. Anything that's cool that you haven't told us about that you're working on right now that really gets you excited, gets you up in the morning? A lot of the things that get me excited are not things that listeners <laughs> want to hear about. But I'll tell you one thing anyway, because I've been having a lot of fun with this lately. So it's a new package I've been working on called Waldo, uh, as in Where's Waldo? The goal of it is to help if you've got like two objects in R that are almost the same and you want to figure out what's the difference, it's going to tell you, you know, in a nice format with color, exactly what the differences are. And this is sort of my favorite type of project because it's like relatively tightly scoped, just a couple of weeks of work at most. Uh, there's a, a bunch of kind of programming things, like you've got these two big complicated data structures, how do you actually compare them? And then it's also got, well, like how do you actually show that to a human in a way that helps them like figure out what's going on? Before I transition and see if there's anything that around our, our studio, your current work today, anything that you're authoring your books that we didn't say that you want to make sure is, is stated. I think just one thing, just cause it's top of mind. Cause I just uh, blogged and uh, tweeted about it before I came on, but we just announced, you know, we know a bunch of people in the art community are working on the response to, to COVID. So, you know, we just want to make people aware that we want to help out where we can. We're doing free um, uh, free Shiny app accounts if you're making apps that help people understand what's going on with COVID or if you're an academic research group. Um, we're making our commercial products available. Nice. Where can they get those? Just, they just went live on the R Studio blog. So I think the best way to is just Google R Studio blog and then read the, the top blog post. All right. We'll also put that in the show notes. On your website, it says that you like to bake and make cocktails. You got to tell me mm-hmm. more about that. I think like most people, I've been doing a little more baking than usual. What are you baking, like a cake or what? I love making cakes, like, you know, like three-layer cakes with a ton of uh, frosting on. A lot of I look like buttercream and chocolate. Unfortunately, you know, I can only consume so many of those myself. So, and that's that's one of the challenges of the... The quarantine is not being able to share uh, my baking with them. Can't you like drop it off to somebody's house? Just like put it at the front door. They're going to love cakes. Who doesn't like cakes? I should just do that with my neighbors. I'll just drop a cake on each of them. And my favorite uh, topic is cocktails. What kind of cocktails are we talking here? Uh, Pretty more now, like we're making everything at home. But I don't know. We've got a pretty well-stocked liquor cabinet. My personal favorite is uh, Negroni's. I really like uh, bitter drinks, so... Also, the global events have been making a, co- a cocktail called a penicillin. Um, <laughs> what goes in that? You got to tell me. It's uh, scotch, lemon juice, and honey ginger syrup. Really good. It's quite a penicillin. So it, t- it sounds like it's a little sweet. I recommend. Uh, it's not too sweet. It's quite um, smoky with a scotch. This is on your website where everybody can see your recipes? Yep. How, how yeah, many cocktail recipes? I do is in the open. I do not have any cocktail recipes available. Although I do, I guess the one thing I have is I do have, I made a, a, a shiny app that lets you, uh, if you want to make vast quantities of eggnog, it scales up all the ingredients. So if you want to make like a gallon of eggnog, you can use the shiny app and it'll tell you exactly how many, how much cream and milk and eggs and rum and brandy and so on you need. So a lot of times I ask, I guess, you know, where they lose track of time. 
in other words, what do they just inspire them or they just love to do? In the last few days, it's been TikTok. I'm, <laughs> I'm managing a growing TikTok addiction. Uh, I'm not producing any content, just consuming other people's TikToks, but it's like, it's pretty fun. And it is amazing to see there's like a lot of cooped up creative families who are doing some really, making some really, really funny stuff. Well, you need to post those. My, <laughs> the good news is I've got, I've got my girls do the same thing. I get TikToks all day long of and so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here like even in a podcast, I get a TikTok. I'm like, great, this is terrific. What the hell is this all day long, man? TikToks totally take it off. So you've got another uh, yeah. obsession and it's called TikTok is what you just said. Yeah. So one more thing and then I'll play a quick game with you. Who do you consider that's not related to you top role model? I think like one of the, the biggest role models in my life and sort of my recent life has been uh, JJ Alea, who's the, the CEO of our studio. And I, th I think the thing that's really neat about JJ is he is like an, like he's an amazing programmer, but he's also like a, you know, a fantastic uh, business person, entrepreneur, but he's kind of like organized his life so he can enjoy doing what he enjoys doing programming as much as possible and being like, you know, that's what I enjoy as well. And having someone kind of more senior in the company playing that role is, is just so wonderful. Sounds good. All right. I want to play one game with you. It's called uh, this or that, or would you rather? So in other words, I'm going to give you two options relative yeah, to yeah. what I've gathered from you today. You got to pick one side of the fence. You can't chicken out on me. You can't like, well, you know, people try to go easy. You've got to pick one yeah. side. All right. You ready? Yeah. All right. Beer or cocktails? Cocktails. Beer or scotch? Scotch. Scotch or bourbon? Scotch. Man, you're a scotch guy. All right, I got that. All right. U.S. or New Zealand? New Zealand. Now, why would you say that? <laughs> it is just, New Zealand is just ridiculously beautiful. Long way away from anywhere. It's expensive, but... So amazingly beautiful, wonderful, wonderful place to live. All right. New Zealand cuisine or Texas cuisine? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I've come to love my Texas barbecue, so I'm going to go with Texas. <laughs> you come up to Kansas City, I will, take you out. I will change your palate. All right. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Printed book or digital book? Digital book. Oh, so no, you don't have any. I thought you, you were looking around your room. You had a bunch of printed books. Yeah, the, I don't know. The stuff I read a long time ago, everything I read now is on my phone or on the computer, and I cannot live without full text search. So that is a good point. Uh, human science or computer science? Computer science. Oh, ditching your original learnings. All right. Yep. Coding or writing? Coding. Clickers or coders? That's easy. Yeah, coders. <laughs> he said, yeah, coders. Hey, um, thank you, Hadley, for being on here. I greatly appreciate it. I had a good time chatting with you. Hope you did as well. well. I'll give you the last word before I close out. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm going to have to say that Texas barbecue is better than Kansas barbecue. Oh, my goodness. Well, well the good news is I can admit that. We can, we can, we can edit. <laughs> Thank you, Hadley, for being here. I greatly appreciate it. Had a great time chatting with you. We'll put all your material or the links to the material in the show notes. Thanks again. You're a good man. Right. And as our listeners, again, thank you. 
Hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Rate us. Stay healthy. I'll see you on the podcast. See y'all. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.